You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Thursday, September 24th, 2020. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ed Harrison, in for Ash Bennington. I'm about to talk to Roger Hurst, our managing director in the UK. But first, with the news of the day, Haley Drasnan. Haley, great to talk to you. Hey, Ed, good to be here. You know, uh, I, 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 I'm sorry. I have to look at your, I keep thinking that this is like a row shot with the pool table in the background. Um, let, let me let me talk about the news, actually, though, because uh, you're, you're going to tell us what's going on in the world. What is going on in the news, Haley? Yes, well, I should say that this is a fun hangout above my garage that we've created into an office. So um, definitely got some RAL inspiration, for sure. Yes, definitely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about the news. So jobless claims out today from the U.S. Department of Labor. Uh, they held steady around 870,000 new claims this week. Um, an additional 630,000 uh, pandemic unemployment assistance claims. So, you know, we're, we're seeing a bit over, you know, 1 million new claims. It's interesting to note that these claims are, you know, holding steady, indicates, you know, layoffs are still happening at a relatively high rate. When we look specifically at the pandemic unemployment assistance numbers, the total dropped from 145 million to 11.5 million and that's a huge fall uh, yeah, and that's so huge. it's interesting to note yeah definitely and you know the thing is when you say held steady at 870,000 to to be honest the thing that pops out at me is is that's a huge number 870,000 so we're holding steady at a very high level here um that can't really be good for the economy and and you know I know that you're looking at other parts of the economy Obviously, the banks. There, that's you're going to see the the bad things that are happening in the U.S. economy reflected in the banks. What are you seeing? That was the second piece of news that I think you were going to talk to me about. Yeah. So you know, investors are seem to be a little bit sour on bank stocks today. Uh, you know, um, regarding the uh, fraud fraudulent claims that came out um, about 90,000 financial institutions earlier this week. Um, but this could be an interesting buying opportunity uh, for, for bank stocks right now. Interesting you said that because the video that is out today is with Jeremy Grantham's heir apparent, Ben Anker, who's at GMO, and he was saying something about that. So I definitely want to talk to Roger later on in um, you know about what he sees in banks because he's been talking about, in particular, European banks uh, doing poorly and that being a sign, a negative sign in terms of the, the real economy as opposed to you know, uh, the the whole fraud activity that we're talking about or the, um, you know, the, the path through of money uh, illegally through the banks. Uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you about that I want to ask uh, Roger about is uh, because it, it involves the UK, JP Morgan. Uh, uh, what's going on with, with JP Morgan? JP Morgan 
put uh, $200 billion worth of their uh, money into uh, Frankfurt, Germany um, from the UK bank there. And so that is going to possibly make uh, JP Morgan Chase one of the largest banks in Germany now. Yeah, very interesting, I have to say. Uh, Haley, thank you for that update. And uh, I'll see you again very soon. Take care. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Great to talk to you here, Roger. We haven't spoken in a long time. I think it's been well over a month now, hasn't it? Good to see you yeah, as well. Yeah, it has. And, uh, you know, I want to piggyback on what Haley was talking about in terms of the banks. I know that the banks were a big thing for you. One of the last times that we were talking, or maybe even uh, for a, a long period of time, we were talking about, for you, that's where the, the rubber hits the road, in Europe in particular. But the, the banks have been under assault, both in Europe and in the United States. W what are you seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, this is something which I talked about um, kind of throughout, which is watch the banks in terms of they're more uh, aligned to the real economy. There are other um, issues with them, but they're more aligned to the real economy, whereas obviously some of the tech stocks are um, in this kind of world of their own. What I thought was really interesting is that people were talking about, you know, we're getting a rotation. We're seeing this move away from um, growth to value, so out of the tech into some of the value names, including banks. But actually, I think what we saw, and, you know, we talked a lot about optionality and how the options market had been driving some of the volatility that we've been seeing in the tech stocks in particular. Well, that, that real kind of underperformance from the NASDAQ came to an end with expiry on Friday. There was a little bit of follow through with some inventory management on Monday. Remember, we we're down quite a long way in the early part of the Monday trading session, but rebounded. But since then, and really the story of this week has been some profoundly poor performance from banks in US and in Europe. Um, and it, when you look at things like the Eurostox banks, the SX70, the Eurozone banks, They've broken through three-month support, and they look like they're heading back to the all-time lows. Uh, if you look at the Japanese banks, they're still, as a rel relative to the topics, they're still at their all-time lows. And for other reasons, we've seen the Europeans or the UK banks, they've been underperforming both the US and Europe. Now, this is very rare, but this year, the UK banks have been the big underperformers. And there's one other th trend within this, which kind of explains some of what we're seeing, which is when you look in the US, um, and you've seen this rebound, really, with the Nasdaq's rebounded again back to pretty much the all-time highs relative to the bank index, the BKX. But within the banks, the regional banks have massively been underperforming the big banks. So the BKX is the big banks. The KRE ETF is the regional banks. The BKX has been pretty much outperforming throughout. So, you know, this is a sort of, you know, it's the real economy banks that are the real underperformers. It's those that are exposed to commercial real estate, those that might have some bad loans from small businesses in the regions. Um, and obviously the European banking sector is much more um, involved in loans rather than capital markets where a lot of the borrowing in the US is. So I think that's a play, but we can very clearly see these banks, the real economy stuff. You know, there's been some reasons behind it, but they've been rolling over. You know, how, the real question for me now is how much of this is priced in? Because uh, you, the, the video that's playing now in terms of uh, 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 how have things changed in this, the campaign that we're doing is from Ben Inker, who is Jeremy Grantham's heir apparent. And, you know, I asked him about the banks and he said, look, you know, um, when, whenever I see a sector that's beaten down as much as this sector is, I always think that there are opportunities there, perhaps. I thought that was a contrarian take. But... 
the question is, is how much is priced in? I mean, is his take uh, the right one in that there are opportunities or is it that uh, there's more downside risk to come? To the banks, I think there is. And it goes to really the what I always say is, you know, have we seen an organic rally in equity markets? Have we seen an organic rally in equity markets over the last five years? And by organic, I mean one which is driven by true growth, which is, you know, um, self-fulfilling growth, productivity growth, innovative growth. Or is it one that's been driven by liquidity and central bank largesse? And that's been the case. And I think the banks are a reflection of the lack of organic growth, whereas the tech stocks are a reflection of obviously the monumental changes that have come to us much more, uh, much more rapidly due to the COVID crisis. But that's a concentration story, whereas the banks is still the real economy. Now, that's a slow grinding story because you know, when you think about the banks, there's a lot of other issues. You know, there's this probe that's been going on where they've all been doing, you know, um, dodgy things in terms of lending, et cetera. That's hit them this week. There is the attack from fintech. But fintech is really only around the margins. And remember, these banks, they have, they're too big to fail, many of them. They're surrounded by barriers of regulation, which whilst that regulation is also bringing them down because of the costs of it compared to fintech, it also prevents a lot of the competition from coming in. There's a lot of stickiness, of, of particularly in Europe. You know, I've been with my bank for 30 years, even though it's not necessarily the best bank. You don't move easily. So these banks, although they're coming under fire, they are sort of protected and they are still a reflection of the real economy. And here in Europe, they've been rolling over quite dramatically. And further to that, and I think this is something that's obscured by this wonderful rally in US tech, is that you look at most of the European equity indices and they are still in bear market bounce mode. The um, IBEX got to a 50% retracement in June. It's been rolling over. FTSE got to 50 to 62. These are all classic levels. It's not got beyond that. It looks like it's rolling over. The Eurostox did get to slightly above 62% back in June, but it's been flatlining from there and rolling over. And if these banks lead, these will roll over and will still be in what was a classic bear market for everywhere, pretty much outside Europe. Germany's slightly different, but that's kind of what we're seeing. So when you you're saying basically the U.S. is uh, uh, there's something that happened in the U.S. which is not reflected in other markets that you know the 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 Nasdaq what's going on there is unique uh, relative to what we're seeing the underlying trends the Fibonacci retracements that you're seeing 50 62 percent in other markets. Yeah, the U.S. is the only country really that has. I mean, there's obviously some from China as well, but has the mega cap tech stocks, the global tech stocks. There's some great tech stocks in Europe, but they're all relatively small, so they don't have the same impact on the indices. The European markets are really kind of old school. They are value indices by and large, and value has been massively underperforming growth. And so what we've seen in the US is that concentration. And you know, in that period prior to the expiry, there were the seven names. They were the ones that people were focused on. So when we talk about um, options volumes, single stock option volumes being 140% of the cash volumes versus 40% three years ago. When we talk about five times the number of calls outright being bought, that's been concentrated in that handful of stocks that have been driving the NASDAQ and the top end of the S&P. Those stocks don't exist in Europe. So it's been a bias in terms of that. But Europe is probably a better reflection of the fact that this is still a very, very difficult environment. And in the UK, Rishi Sunak, the chancellor, is announcing yet more support to keep this thing going because everyone knows the minute that rolls off, the whole thing rolls over again. Yeah, I mean, there's so many threads there that I could go with. Uh, one thread I'm thinking about in particular is uh, the the UK and the JP Morgan thing that uh, Haley was talking about, uh, moving $230 billion over to Germany 
any thoughts on whether that's a trend and and doesn't reflect anything fundamental? Well, I mean, we are in some ways closer to a clean Brexit. A, you know, when I say clean Brexit, that's the the unbiased view because you always hear these people say we fall out of Europe on a specific date. Basically, a clean Brexit is based where we leave Europe and we have no deal. That could happen effectively on the 15th of October to be ratified by the end of the year. And let's face it, politicians have always been able to move the goalposts. So it's approaching. But right now, you'd probably say that the UK is closer to a clean Brexit than we've ever been in this whole process. Um, and yet we're not really seeing it in asset prices apart from those UK banks. But that's also because of um, a fairly bad um, we, a fairly bad scenario in how we've dealt with COVID in this country. But also the sterling, you know, sterling has not really reflected this either. Clean Brexit was always 120 and a deal was 135. We're currently 128. So we're sort of halfway between there. Euro um, sterling, parity is what Goldman thinks is fair value for a clean Brexit. 110 for a deal, we're at 108, 109. So I mean, what we're seeing here is that people are t realizing that this could happen. Another piece of news today that's come out is that they might, you know, lorries entering Kent, which is the last county before the channel and the ferries and going through to France, they might have to, they may all have to have um, specific passports to get into Kent because they don't want them being turned back from the border because that could lead in the worst case scenario to 7,000 trucks lining up um, in Kent itself. Um, and the fine could be 300 pounds. The point is that we're not ready. No one's really ready because everyone's been dealing with COVID. And so this is now upon us. And there are some issues there, but I think that the JP Morgan story is part and parcel of that. They can move it. money, you know, it doesn't need to go through the, the um, border in the same way, so it can be easily moved. Yeah, interesting, because to me, uh, the uh, the balance of what you say uh, points to the toggle uh, for, from a volatility perspective being uh, in the currency markets. You know, when you talk about 128, basically halfway between those two markers that you gave, it sounds to me like we could see some volatility, not just with the pound, but uh, in currencies all around. And it, it, what's your view in terms of what's happening in the currency markets? Because I'm thinking of currencies as a pivotal part of this momentum shift that we've been seeing over the last uh, few weeks. So currencies, I think, should be the major mechanism for adjustments, um, you know, adjustments to the macroeconomic environment. Because you know, when we look at, let's look at three levels of volatility. The first volatility is the VIX. We all know has been going up. Well, the VIX has actually been going up to much higher levels than the actual underlying volatility. So implied volatility currently is VIX is 10 points above realized volatility on the S&P. But we've got this big volatility bump that we are moving now into. It's been there for a while around the election, which is having an impact. But equity volatility is high. Bond volatility, the move index, hit an all-time record low in the last week because the central banks are sucking the life force out of these markets by basically um, the price discovery mechanism is being destroyed by them in a way. And that you can see, if you look at the five-year yield, the 10-year yield, they've been flatlining in the US two-year and five-year even more so. That's reflected in volatility. So the FX markets, currency markets, are perhaps one of the few release valves for this whole scenario. But even though volatility has not been moving too much, if you look at G3 volatility, one month um, and currency markets, it's been flatlining. It's significantly above where it was pre-COVID, but it's been flatlining. But if you, if you overlay um, sterling volatility on that, sterling volatility has gained about two or three vol points over the last two or three weeks compared to that flatlining G3. So it is appearing 
But it's not quite there yet volatility-wise. And we can see that with the Turkish lira, which has also been making new lows versus the dollar. The volatility hasn't really moved there. But my view, and something I actually um, talked about in my Refinitiv show yesterday, was that I think FX volatility is a thing to own to the end of the year because bond volatility is, is being destroyed by central banks. Equity volatility is already rich. FX volatility is saying, oh, we don't see much of an issue here, when actually we could see all these issues play out in the currency markets. Very interesting. Um, what about uh, the, the, the transition from August to September in terms of what we're seeing right now? Because the way that you described it earlier is you were saying that we have we have a semi phase shift in terms of uh, you know people were talking about uh, um, okay there was a general sell off and the Nasdaq was actually leading the sell off in the U S but now uh, what we're seeing is actually you know a reemergence of this uh, of this whole uh, growth over value but to the downside meaning that <laughs> things are going down but value is going down more. What's behind these shifts over the last two to three weeks? So what I think is um, with the equity market is if you look at the S&P, and, and I looked at the S&P versus the high-yield ETF, HYG, and the um, investment-grade LQD, and you can see over the last two months, we've done a round trip of exuberance in equity markets. So the S&P sort of had that spurt up, and everyone's going, wow, yeah, options. And then it almost gave it the whole thing back into expiry. So it was almost like buying it in and then unwinding it into the actual expiry with a bit of overspill on Monday, which was the, the day after. Um, so I think that was a round trip. Now, still, you know, we started from a, a high base. Um, but what I think we're seeing now is that you know, the real economy is what we're seeing in the, in the banks. And I think what we're seeing in the currency markets is there's a little bit of reassertion from the dollar, but it's dollar versus the euro. And the problem for the European currency is that what we've seen over the summer period is dollar weakness versus euro, Europe, G10, but not really the yen. The yen's been kind of range-bound. But it's a euro strength story dragging Europe up with it. Emerging market FX has hardly moved over this last two-month period. That's been a problem for Europe, which is that the European currency, on a trade-rated basis, got very, very rich. And if you think about it, the dollar versus EM had hardly moved for two months. The dollar is still quite strong versus EM, whilst the euro was strengthening against the dollar. Now, the biggest exporting markets for Europe is emerging markets by and large. So therefore, euro versus a lot of these currencies was a, a very, very strong level. And I think that's starting to be reflected in these European equities, the European banks, the European overall um, environment, which is that Europe cannot take a strong euro because it's an exporting block. Some of it's to the you know, regions which are directly adjacent, obviously. Some of them are, are um, non-euro currencies, but are semi-pegged. But it's also to China. It's also to a lot of other emerging markets. So the currency move for the euro has been bad. Now the dollar started to turn. And if you look at the DXY, it looks like a little head and shoulders, reverse head and shoulders. It's breaking out. Target's 96 on the DXY and 115, below 115 on the euro. So not a massive change, but it could be the beginning of something. And the problem, as I say, for Europe is that this is bad for Europe having the currency here. So I think what's changing is the real economy kicking back in, in Europe, in banks, the over-exuberance in the tech sector unwinding, but nothing more. But there's still the thesis, which is the tech world, the online world is still relatively okay. The old world, the European world, when you scratch beneath the surface, is not. I think that's what we're sort of seeing here. Maybe the beginning of the death by a thousand cuts, so death by a thousand cuts, solvency issue beginning to play out.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You know, I wanted to ask you for uh, you know, for a long time because I was expecting this uh, our pairing about the banks uh, merging together because you know uh, banks are a big part of that. I mean, obviously, if the real economy is sucking wind, it makes sense for Credit Suisse and UBS to get together or two big banks in in Spain. I'm hearing a lot of talk about okay, let's go with the Japanese scenario of taking two horrific banks. Uh, and and let's put them together, and we'll have a, a a supersized horrific bank. Is is that? Do you think that that buys any time for the European economy? Um, it sort of. I mean, it sort of does because it's it's a, a game of of um, you know bluff, isn't it? Really, uh, and you know we saw that with Deutsche Bank and Commerzbank. Oh, let's get the two of the banks together. Well, they're both not particularly in healthy shape at the moment. We've seen it in the UK as well. Um, and you know the UK is having an extra problem, which is that HSBC is 50% of the banking index. HSBC is testing its 30-year support. If that goes through, UK banks will underperform more. And it's that big because we put lots of banks together. We didn't make better banks; we made worse banks. And hence, the you know the other all the other banking sector is 47% of the UK banking sector. 53 is HSBC. So that's the problem. You can get. I mean, Credit Suisse and UBS are reasonably good banks, but the whole of European, or the whole of the European banking sector, does have a potential non-performing loan problem down the road, solvency problems, death by a thousand cuts, um, and you know the European banking sector and the European corporate sector is much more tied together than in the US, where it's the corporate sector and the capital markets which are facilitated by the banks. Hence, why the big banks, which are kind of investment banks, are doing better than the regionals. That's all been playing out, and I think that's what we're seeing here in Europe. And I think two banks together. It buys some time, but it's the slow death story that we're in now. And I think there's going to be a lot of nationalizations around Europe. So going forward, uh, what are you what are you looking at? Uh, That's question number one. And question number two, uh, where is gold and silver in in all of this? Uh, Because there's been a huge move recently to the downside there. So I think firstly, what what I'm looking at is that this bank move, which is that the canary in the coal mine, first and foremost. I'd like to then see a confirmation from bond yields. Now, we talked about bond yields doing nothing for the last few uh, few months. Because everybody sort of knows there's QE infinity, potentially yield curve control denied, but potentially there that could keep a lid on yields. But that doesn't mean yields can't roll over. And, you know, with the UK going, the Bank of England going, oh, we're looking at negative rates, and the US denying they'll ever do it, but bond day there will look at it as well. That move could be the yields in the US start to roll over. If they roll over, Sooner rather than later, that's confirming what the banks are saying. And my worry is that the dollar could then be an accelerant on that trend. I, a strong dollar is the mechanism that takes a, a weak Europe, um, a weak outlook in developed markets, and pushes it into emerging markets and commodities. So obviously that move in the dollar is taking us on into why are commodities rolling over. I think it's because dollar looks like it's found um, a little bit of a base. But also when you look at China, one of the biggest consumers of, China, uh, of some of these non-precious commodities like copper, they stockpiled loads. There was a huge um, inflow of, of copper um, over the summer period. So maybe they've got what they need now. Maybe that was the demand. But you can see from things like demand in oil, China's demand for oil is actually starting to roll over as well because there's not the external demand 
for the goods that they're making because they went for production rather than supporting wages, whereas in the Western countries, we've gone to support wages rather than production. So I think that's what's happening there. Now, into the precious metals, they've had a good run. Obviously, silver was up, you know, two and a half X at one point from the, from the lows in the you know, middle of March. So they're going to give some back, but also real yields have rolled over as well. So, you know, gold has been following real yields. Real yields have been rolling over. Gold's underperformed real yields, but it's probably a little bit of that. And also they've had a good run. But if you think that yields are just general yields, nominal yields are going to fall, mm -hmm. I would still be looking at gold and picking it up into this dip. And what I looked at with gold, which I thought was interesting, was in this move to the all-time highs on gold, the shares outstanding on the biggest gold ETF did not exceed where they were in 2013. So the, the, this has been a futures move from institutions, maybe, um, but we haven't seen the mass uptake yet. Actually, no, let me take that back. The futures is more the, the, the fast money community, but we haven't seen the uptake of the institutions into gold yet. And if they do that, that's a lot of money chasing a small market. And that's, I think, is where we get the next leg higher. So I think that the precious metal story, this is a dip that you buy because I do think that yields will roll over because I do think we go towards an insolvency phase in the rest of the world, even if the US you know, is still kind of on this, this exuberance of, of the tech stock kind of bubble. And, you know, uh, I, 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 that was supposed to be my last question, but uh, um, you produced another question, and that is gold versus silver, because uh, you talked a lot more about gold there than you did silver. Uh, silver ran up like a ridiculous amount. Uh, what, what's your take on, on that? It's the super high, super high octane version of that story. So if you if you believe the world's fine now, um, then you probably go, oh, we've had the run. But I don't think that's the case because every central bank and every government is talking about doing more fiscal. The UK is doing it. The US election is probably delaying it. But we know that central banks are standing behind it. And if the UK BOE is talking about negative um, interest rates, there is more to come. And this story is really a... If you look at just nominal bond yields versus gold, it's a, it's a bond yield story. And silver is the high-octane version of gold. And silver miners are gold, and gold miners are the high-octane versions of silver and gold itself. So, you know, you can play it. And I still think this, this is a story that plays out because this is an economy globally that has been on life support or, or it's, been, it's been on support from uh, liquidity, central bank, monetary, mainly now fiscal policy. That's not going to go away. In fact, if that went away tomorrow, things will collapse. If it hadn't arrived in size in March, we would probably be in a depression. But it is there. And there is still a belief that there is more to go on that. And if you believe that central banks have more to go and the fiscal authorities have more to go, then gold and silver have more to go. And silver should go more than gold. But when you buy it, you've got to sit there and know that you're going to have some drawdowns of 20% like we pretty close to at the time of talking right now. Great, uh, uh, great to talk to you. I think that you know that that last piece that's very good. Um, enjoyed it very much, Roger. I will see you again next week. Yeah, hopefully we'll. Good to catch up with you. See you later. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.